previously on Jonesing. It's not once and, and you're out. It's we have to come up with a plan to address this. For most addictive substances, there's not something like Suboxone. That's, why, that's one of the reasons that drug and alcohol counseling is so important. So I, I guess the bottom line is that if somebody wants help, help is there. Um, you just have to ask for it. This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health, a nonprofit organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We would like to thank the Lancaster County Community Foundation for sponsoring this podcast series. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for tuning into the first season of Jonesing, our podcast about the science behind opioid addiction. I am Zerubabel Asfaw. We're going to take a look at the state of medically assisted treatment through the lives of people who are starting it, are in recovery, and those who can find their path to sobriety. Medication-assisted treatment. We're talking methadone, suboxone, and Vivitrol. Those may be the best methods we have right now to treat opioid addiction, but not that many people are using them. Less than 30%. We wanted to find out why. My name is Susan Baldridge, and I co-produced this podcast with Zerubbabel, a third-year pre-med student. You may have noticed his accent. He's from Ethiopia. And that was Susan. She was an investigative journalist for the past 19 years before coming to the public health field. She has written over 200 articles about the opioid epidemic since it began five years ago in quite little Lancaster County. Also, you may have noticed her accent. She's from Pennsylvania. Some of you may not know what the word jonesing means. We're going to let people in the community tell you what they think. Jonesing for something? Yeah, what's the definition of jonesing? You're craving it, you want it, you need it. What do you think? Yeah, it's the same thing. If you want something, I'm jonesing for whatever. So Susan, on today's episode of Jonesing, what are we talking about? We're going to talk to somebody today who shouldn't be in recovery, but he is. He had everything against him, yet Jay Ivory is five years clean. Is that the guy we met who grew up in a family with a history of addiction? Like everyone in the family? I think he said he was 12 when he started using illegal drugs. Which usually doesn't bode well for the future. He had a traumatic childhood. He had everyone in his family using drugs. He lived in a section of town that had a plentiful supply of drugs. He had no support system. And with all that, it doesn't surprise me that he started struggling with addiction himself from an early age. It's more of a surprise that he worked his way into sobriety. Yeah, that's very true. How does a person who has everything stacked up against him, managed to achieve long-term sobriety. Jay credits God for one thing, and credits being in the right place at the right time, having people to support him, outside his family, part of his own recovery family. Based on Jay's life, we could see the benefits of having a sports group and paths like MAT. People who take these programs seriously can typically even have jobs and be part of a family while they recover from opioid addiction. In Jay's case, he did try MAT, and he'll tell you why it didn't work for him, but why he still strongly supports it for other people who would like to try medically-assisted treatment. I'm from the Pittsburgh area, born and raised, and um, I come from a family full of addicts. Mom, dad, sisters, uncles, aunts, literally everyone in my family uses. Um, So finding a group of people who don't use was completely foreign to me. Um, it just didn't seem real. I'm like, you know, people have to use something. And so 
you know, around, I want to say the age of 12, I started off with like uh, marijuana and alcohol, you know, the usual gateway drugs is what they call them. Um, and then around 2008, you know, to 2013, I started uh, doing hard drugs, did heroin, smoked crack, mushrooms, any, any drug I basically tried. Um, but I will say it was the opiates that brought me to my knees. So with all that drug use, Jay hit rock bottom after he started on heroin. There was a time when he realized he had absolutely nothing. I was just tired. I was completely tired. I was mentally drained, spiritually dead, um, physically broken. Like I was just, and I can just remember how happy I was just to have a cot to lay on in a warm place. Um, I had a garbage bag full of clothes to my name. That's all I owned. And I can remember getting, you know, discharged and them asking me, like, where do you want to go? And I told them, like, I don't want to go back home. Like, that area, I just, I can't. I know too many people. That whole city is a trigger. Jay mentions that his traumatic childhood predisposed him to addiction. like a fractured personality man even as a kid before I even picked up a drug like I had these so-called character defects um did they come from your childhood were you did you have a rocky childhood oh yeah I had a horrible childhood been held hostage uh by my mom's ex-husband who made me and my little sister watch him beat her almost to death um molested uh, by a family member or by a family <laughs> member and by someone that my mom used to get high with he broke into her house um, I was sold for crack when I was 16 it was a lot homeless when I was using I was the junkie that all the other junkies would talk about <laughs> I was the one that made other junkies feel better about themselves. <laughs> they were like, well, at least I'm not as bad as this guy over here in the corner. You know, I was that bad. Really? You know, like yeah. how bad? I probably weighed a buck 15 soaking wet boots on. Um, wore the same clothes every day. I would use dirty rain puddle water to get high, you know, um, toilet water, all that. Like, it didn't matter. Um, I did anything and everything to get the next one. It didn't matter, man. Um, still lie, cheat. Still lie, cheat. Sold myself. Sold other people. <laughs> um, so, like, if I can, like, and, like, coming from that vicious cycle that my family's in, you know, my little sister is in treatment right now. Um, my older sister's still using. My dad's still using. Um, my aunt, uncles, they're still using. You know, um, it's a vicious cycle that I grew up in. And for some reason, I found myself getting out of it. Um, 
Do you still marvel about that? I do. And it's all because I made that one decision to do something different. Because I've seen people use, like I use, been through things that I've been through, and fucking stay clean. <laughs> Excuse my language. <laughs> and I was just like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like, if they can do it, like, why can't I? You know, for the longest time, I will say that I thought that I was different. Does helping other people help your recovery? Absolutely. How so, though? Because addiction, like, is based off of self-obsession. Like, that's the core of our disease, is not being able to get outside ourselves. Like, we're so self-absorbed. It's disgusting. Um, Everything is about me all the time, all the time, all the time. But did that happen once you started using? Or you think that kind of self-absorbed person is more likely to be in addiction? Um, It depends. I know that it started early for me being like so self-absorbed like um yeah I was like super stingy and like everything was always about me and why don't you love me and why am I like just it was me 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 um do you think that was somewhat of a survival kind of thing it was because no one else was seemed like it was taking care of you pretty much yeah So, so yeah um but service work relieves me of that. Did you have faith at that point, Jay, that could get you thinking about sobriety? At first, when I first got clean, I was spiritually dead, and I I used to get spirituality and religion confused. I thought that spirituality, you know, was the same as religion, and it's not. And me and God did not see eye to eye. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I was raised in, like, a Baptist church, you know, my family and all that. And, um, you know, at that point in my life, like, I hated God. I was like, why would you, if you were such a loving and caring God, why would you put me through what I had to go through? You know, um, why would you allow me to have a mother addicted to drugs and put me in, you know, difficult situations as a child? Um why would you allow my life to turn out the way it did? Some things were out of my control, and a lot of the shit that I went through, I put myself through for my own destructive behaviors and choices. Um, it's, uh, it's very important that you find a power greater than yourself because sometimes there's going to be days where you're not going to be able to get a hold of anyone if you feel like using you know, um, your sponsor won't be available, people in your support group won't be available, and then you're left with you. And then that's where spirituality comes in. You know, I developed a relationship with a God of my understanding. I'm not religious, I don't go to church, I don't do the whole thing. Um, Not because, you know, I don't like it, but it's just not my thing. After all the experiences you've mentioned, what finally got you into rehab? My life was completely in shambles. I was homeless, uh, penniless. Um, I've tried recovery several times and I couldn't 
get more than 30 days clean. Um, and so this past time in 2013, um, I was at the end of my road and I was homeless and it was the middle of January. And um, I called somebody in recovery and they came and helped me get into treatment. Um, I was county funding, I didn't have any insurance. Um, so they gave me 17 days, including a detox. That's all I got. This time I was completely willing to do whatever it takes to get clean. I can remember getting to this recovery house in York and uh, I gave myself an ultimatum and I said, like, I'm gonna do everything these people tell me to do. And if it doesn't work, then it just doesn't work. And I was meant to be a no good junkie for the rest of my life, you know, um, because that's how my family was, you know what I mean? Um, and I did everything that people in recovery told me to do and I stayed clean one day at a time. I can remember sitting in the front row of meetings, taking notes because I so desperately wanted to stay clean and I would talk about how I wanted to get high every day I wanted to use. And these people in the rooms would babysit me, basically. You know, they would pass me off to one another just to make sure I didn't use and got another day clean. They would take me out to eat, they would feed me, they, you know, they would give me clothes and, you know, um, they loved me until I learned how to love myself. You tried MATJ. Do you think that's the best way or how would you tell people they have the best chance of moving into sobriety and, of course, staying there? When I did try it, I wasn't ready to be clean. Um, it just did not work for me. So you tried it in the past and didn't work for you because you weren't ready to be clean. Pretty Do you much. think that happens with a lot of people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not that I wasn't ready to be clean. It was more of I wasn't ready to follow direction. I didn't know how to take direction. I felt as though, you know, I'm an adult, I'm in charge of my own life, who am I to listen to what you want me to do? So does Jay support MAT? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I feel um, that it is, it has provided a lot of individuals with a stepping stone to get them to where they want to go in, in their recovery. Um, because with today's society, um, the drugs that are going around are so addictive that it's, it's hard to just be completely abstinent at first. It also helps curve cravings to use. Um, they then have the chance to get what I call um, a moment of clarity, so to speak, like a clear mind, so they can start developing support um, to help them for whenever they transition off the medication or even if they continue to stay on the medication. Um, but it gives them that chance, that break away from the drug. So you work for the RACE Project, which stands for Recovery, Advocacy, Service, and Empowerment. You help the sick and suffering get help and live life without the use of drugs. So how come other people are still not convinced about the benefits of MAT? I wish that they were more open to it and understand that, like, it's just a stepping stone. It doesn't have to be permanent. Um, 
and it works, if you follow direction, um, it can really change your life. How do you evaluate people to see if they're going to be a good candidate for MAT? Um, basically, uh, it's, you know, we just talk to them, like, you know, what brings you to race? What is, you know, what is the reason why you want to be on medication-assisted recovery? Like, have you ever tried it? Like, um, do you feel like this is the last option you have left? You know, have you been to inpatient before? Have you not? Pretty much, like, there's nothing stopping anyone from getting on medication-assisted recovery. We don't actually prescribe the medication the doctors do. So it's their decision on which medication they will receive based on their drug history. You know, but as far as receiving services, if you want services, like we're going to get you services. We will do whatever we can to help you, regardless if you have insurance or no insurance or anything. Even though he supports medically assisted recovery, Jay wasn't successful with MAT for his own recovery. Above anything else, what he suggests is those seeking sobriety find a program with a support system. But there's something about recovery that helps you work through that stuff. And not saying that, like, you know, therapy is not an option or anything like that. Like, absolutely, like, therapy is awesome. I've done therapy. Um, but there's something about working the 12 steps um, and being able to identify with other people that, like, pretty much lets you know, like, you're not alone. You know what I mean? Like, you're not the only one. Like, this has happened to, like, numerous people. You know, um, and I think, like, having that support really helps. Wow. So if, um, so if someone wants to go into recovery and they don't want to use a 12-step program, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? It's fine. It's just, it's not for everybody. It's not. And that's reality, you know. Um, there's a ton of different you know, support groups out there uh, regarding recovery and other things um, that work, you know what I mean, that don't have a 12-step program. Um, There's faith-based programs, there's uh, exercise programs, there's music programs, you know, there's a bunch of stuff out there nowadays that, like, if people don't feel comfortable with a 12-step or just don't agree with the you know, the um, structure of the program, like they can try other things. In other words, you're saying people should find a program that fits them and stay with it. It's, it's crucial. It's very, very, very important because um, that's what recovery is about. It's taking a new direction. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you only got to change one thing and that's everything. <laughs> sounds like you've seen people have success in different types of recovery programs. And that's what recovery is, man. It teaches you how to live a new way of life. You know, it completely transformed me. It's like you can't measure someone's desire, man. You know, um, we all come in crazy. (laughs) We all, and like, that's why, like, the great thing, and and I want to say, like, one of the the awesome um, things that, you know, we here at race have is that we're a recovery community organization like all of us are in recovery so like we get it man 
Like, we don't judge you. Like, people lie to us all the time. And we're just like, it's okay. You don't have to lie. You know what I mean? And, like, we don't take it personally or nothing, you know? And, like, they're surprised by that. So what's your last word of advice to someone who's taking the first steps toward recovery? Everybody's different. Everybody's recovery is different. Everybody recovers differently. Um, so I believe in all pathways. Whatever works for you, like, work it. Just as Jay mentions, there are several pathways to sobriety. Even though he managed to get his life back by dropping heroin cold turkey, he remains an advocate of MAT and helps several opioid-dependent people achieve sobriety by visiting Suboxone clinics and enrolling in counseling programs. A common trend among all the interviews we conducted with the recovering addicts, they decided to change one thing, and that was, as Jay mentioned, everything. That's all for Jonesing this week. On our next episode, we're going to delve deeper into the link between mental health and addiction. Sexual, physical, mental, emotional, all of it, really. I would say the more just the physical violence is what triggers me a lot to feel like a little bit helpless, a little bit trapped, um, and then want to use again. This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health, a nonprofit organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We would like to thank the Lancaster County Community Foundation for sponsoring this podcast series. We'd also like to thank Colonel Collin, also known as C.J. Shuby. He's a talented musician in long-term recovery himself. He graciously allowed us to use his music. Catch more episodes of Jonesing on our website, partnershipforpublichealth.org, and find us on Stitcher and iTunes. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP.